Happy holidays, everyone. Welcome to Le Vital Core Salon. I am your host and salonier, Kara Martin-Snyder. Normally, I introduce you to one woman leaving her unique stain on the world without letting bullshit or burnout stop her. Today, I have a Boxing Day holiday surprise for all of you. I have not one episode for you, but two episodes today. And these two episodes go together for what I'm calling the mentor-sponsor mashup. Totally done Le Vital Core Salon style. And I'm not introducing you to just one guest today. I invited seven previous Le Vital Core Salon guests to chime in on a topic that I think could help with your success in 2019. We're in that lull between the holidays where this is a great time to just kind of be percolating about what you want. 2019 to look like for you. Maybe you want to launch a business. Maybe you want to grow in your current role. Maybe it's time to reward yourself with a new job or negotiate for a raise. Maybe there's someone who sought you out for advice that you'd like to help. Whatever it is, there are a bunch of nuggets in this conversation. This is the first time I've hosted a virtual roundtable or panel, if you will, via the podcast. So this was a little bit of an experiment. The idea for this episode came after actually Sally Eckes, who you met in a previous episode way back in 2016. And I ended up going to a round table at South by Southwest that was hosted by Minda Hartz, who you've also met back in episode 16. Minda's round table was about the differences between mentorship and sponsorship. It was a fantastic discussion, and I wanted to continue to tug on that thread. So I invited Minda to help me. Because Minda runs an organization called The Memo, where she's focused on helping women of color find a seat at the table. Minda's also the host of her own podcast called Secure the Seat, so she knows a thing or two about these topics. If you're confused about what mentorship and sponsorship are and the differences between the two, don't worry. I was too, actually, when I was sitting in the roundtable conversation. So I've asked Minda to break down each one of them for you at the beginning of the episode. Part one of this two-part episode is focused on my guests' experiences with past mentors and sponsors. They'll also chime in on how they've been a good mentor or sponsor. Part two of the mentor-sponsor mashup is focused on how we can avoid mentorship and sponsorship going wrong, and other practical advice around both of these topics. I want to give a big shout out to Minda, of course, as well as Dara Cass, Erin Barra, Kara Rhoda, Kelly Lingard, Patty Wilson, and Rachel Citron for all contributing their experience and stories to this episode. Speaking of contribution, all of you can do this too, and it's totally free. I'd love if you shared this episode with one person who you think could use a kickstart to their 2019. We all know someone who could use a little support around finding a mentor or being sponsored. This information will help your friend, family member, or coworker grow, and it will help grow this podcast organically. Thank you to all of you who have been doing that in 2018, because this little podcast that could has been growing. Also, as I've been bopping around 
doing holiday stuff and seeing friends and family, it's come to my attention that most people that I've talked to don't realize they have a podcast app on their phone and could be listening to The Vital Course Salon. So in 2019, I want you to expect that if I see you and you don't know that you have the podcast app on your phone, be prepared for me to grab your device and add Le Vital Course Salon to your show. For those of you who have an iPhone, it's super simple. You can search for the podcast app and it's a little purple icon for it. And then you can go in and just in the search function, just type in Le Vital Course Salon and subscribe. It takes literally under 10 seconds. So I want to also remind people about that and highly encourage you to subscribe. Okay, enough blabbing. Let's kick off this episode. Here's Minta Hearts and I talking about what sponsors and mentors are and the differences between the two. So as we kind of talked about before we got here behind our microphones, the notion of mentorship and sponsorship. For people listening, how this came about was when Minda and I were both at South by Southwest in March, I got a chance to see Minda doing her thing, like full on Minda mode. And it was awesome. One of the questions that came up at the roundtable you were facilitating was about mentorship and about sponsorship. And it was a huge duh moment for me because I had never really thought about there's a difference and both are pretty necessary. Do you mind breaking down for us like what a mentor is and what a sponsor is? Yeah, no, I'm so glad we're having this conversation, Kara, because even in that moment being in the room with you and all the other amazing women, I didn't realize that some people had never heard of the mentor versus a sponsor. So, you know, sometimes when you're in these career development spaces, you think, oh, this is old news to people. And you don't realize that some of these uh, concepts and frameworks are new, or maybe you called them something else 20 years ago, and now we're calling them this now. And I think that mentor, I think all of us um, foundationally understand what that is. That's someone who guides us, gives us advice. Uh, A mentor can be that person who gives you advice on how to build your career down to a good friend who might give you dating advice. Like we all have mentors or people that pour into us and give us advice. That's the understanding of a mentor as far as I see it. And then a sponsor is somebody who will put their self on the line for you, someone who will advocate for you when you're not in the room, who will help you um, move forward in your career. So someone who has the ability to make space for you or create a seat at the table for you, someone who's advocating for your success in a real way. And you might call that a sponsor, a sensei, a champion, (laughs) (laughs) somebody who can, you know, take you from zero to 100 real quick. And I think that in order to move forward, you can have all the talent in the world in your job. But if you have that person an executive leadership that can vouch for you, that can give you opportunities, help you um, set stretch goals, and actually put you on those committees, etc. That's someone who is a sponsor for you. They're saying, yep, you know what, I know Kara, I know Minda, they can do it. Let them try it. And, and we need people like that to help us move forward. Yes. Okay, so what I'm hearing, because I want to make sure that I'm understanding you right, and then in the hopes that anyone else that was like, had a question percolating in the background is on the same page. 
what I'm hearing, a mentor is more the coach, the guide, the advice giver, the moral support, will give you a pat on the back when you need it, will offer information and advice in some way. When it comes to a sponsor, I'm hearing the distinction is sort of two things. One is that they're assuming some sort of responsibility for your success, for your movement forward in some way. And then the second piece is there's a real taking of action that happens by a sponsor. Like they are doing things. They are helping you move mountains or maybe moving the mountains so you can come through in a way. Yeah, exactly. You hit it on the head. Um, You know, and we need both, you know, so I, I wouldn't say that, oh, you know, there's no need for a mentor or there's no need for a sponsor because you might have mentors who give you uh, career development advice. You might have a mentor who gives you financial advice, but you might have someone within your organization or your company or maybe someone in, uh, if you're an entrepreneur and you need some press, you know, a sponsor could even be someone who says, you know what, I have access to the top three, you know, publishing companies in New York City I'm going to make a connection to you to help you facilitate this next step in your book writing career. Like that's somebody who can op- open the door for you and you just got to decide, you know, if you want to walk through it or not, but they're moving the mountain for you or allowing or helping you push it. So Minda, when did this distinction cross your mind? That's a good question. And you know, when I realized that I had a sponsor in the workplace, I didn't know that's what you call them at the time. You know, I just knew (laughs) that I had all these great people in my company giving me advice and mentoring me, you know, um, telling me what I should do on how to navigate workplace politics, which is important because being uh, new out of college and, and entering the workforce, there are certain rules of engagement that you need and you need someone to kind of throw their hand over your shoulder and say, hey, this is how we engage here at this place of employment. So I had those and I understood their role in my life. And then as I was growing and building and moving, I realized that in order to move forward in my career, I actually needed somebody in a power making position to take notice of me. And once I realized who that was, uh, or who those people were, you have to identify who those people could potentially be. um, Because sometimes they'll just pull you out of a crowd right at work. And then sometimes you actually have to put the work in and get to know them so that they know what your goals are and what your aspirations are so that they know how to help you. So they know how to sponsor you. And for me, I ended up finding this um, sponsor. Uh, His name is Steve. Shout out to Steve. And he was that person. He was on executive leadership. And I would go and talk to him um, every now and then and um, just let him know what I was up to. I wanted him to get to know me and know what I wanted to do and what I wanted out of the company. And eventually that relationship that we built, he decided that he was going to sponsor me. He saw something in me and he wanted to help me. And we talked about the things that I wanted out of the company. And from there, he used his influence, his privilege to open up the door for me and provide opportunities. And, and maybe um, movement that may have taken me five years to do on my own, he was able to do in a year. And so that's somebody who had the ability. And sometimes they will and they won't, but he decided he wanted to enter this partnership with me. And that's how we move forward. But for a long time, I thought he was a mentor too. But I realized that he was doing things different than my mentors were doing. He was actually creating space for me 
And I, I really appreciate that because you need that in the workplace. Here's a question based on what you shared. And thank you for that. And thank you, Steve. Because we like men who support women. Yes. (laughs) Especially in the workplace. Absolutely. I think people listening, like one of the questions that's going to come up for them, and we're going to hear more from other past podcast guests from Le Vital Core Salon about their different experiences and things like that with both mentorship and sponsorship. But I'm guessing people listening are going to have that question. And I, I think I see lots of blog posts about it, too well, how do you go out there and get a mentor? And I feel like getting a sponsor seems like an even bigger step up. How did this come to be for you? Some of these things happen organically. And when I entered uh, this particular company that I'm, that I'm talking about, uh, where Steve was, men- you know, was a sponsor, I had people who naturally were drawn to me or felt like they wanted to give me tips and tricks on how to how to move forward. So they never said, I'm going to be your mentor. Um, but it just kind of happened organically. And I think the way that we move in the world today, sometimes we want this label, right? <laughs> <You find> that <laughs> yes. you're, like, you're my mentor, I'm your mentee. And it, things don't always happen that way. But you know that people are giving you advice, they have some type of skin in the game with you, they care about your advancement in some way, shape or form. So from there, I just had these kind of unofficial people that I looked at as mentors, because they were investing their time in me. But you know what, I needed a mentor to get to to Steve, because one mentor in particular in the workplace, she pulled me aside and said, you know, you're a rock star, Minda, Um, here's a couple of things that I think would even help you even further, and it would get the attention of the, the powers that be. And she talked to me about my dressing, you know, she's like, Oh, you dress nicely. But what if you took it a step up, you know, take yourself out of the crowd, don't just mix in if everybody's wearing, you know, a pantsuit, you switch it up to skirts, like, go that extra mile. And had she not given me that advice, I may not have gotten the attention of some of the other executive leadership, because they did see that I looked different, I was a little more polished than the rest of my peers, you know, those sorts of things. And maybe had I not taken her advice, Maybe that wasn't a thing. And in my office, it was kind of like a fashion kind of thing. And so I did like take it up a notch. And so I'm thankful for that advice because that gave me the confidence then to pursue a relationship with Steve. And so I needed that advice to get to the sponsorship, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think just the visual impact as well, right? Like to your point, Mm -hmm. if everyone else in the office is wearing navy or black pantsuits, you rolling up in a different color with a skirt is going to, you're automatically just visually going to stand out as well. Yes. How do these concepts land on people when you're talking about them or teaching or facilitating conversations about mentorship versus sponsorship? Yeah, great question, Kara. I think the one thing that um, people gravitate to is this whole, you don't have to have like a written contract agreement to find this person (laughs) in my mind, you know, in their minds, they keep thinking, I don't have a mentor, but you actually probably do have people that invest in you and give you advice about certain things. You might not have um, formalized it, but you do have people who are there for you and supporting you in various ways. So I think you just have to look at them as part of your board of directors or your mentor group, people you bounce ideas off of. Um, that can be a mentor. Our relationship, Kara, we give each other advice. So that's a mentor mentee, depending on which day we one of us needs it, right? And so absolutely. 
<laughs> but, you know, we haven't officially made it, uh, f- formalized it. So I think that's the one thing that I, I tell women when we talk is, you know, it doesn't have to be formal. And then the sponsorship thing, in order to find that person, um, you know, A, you have to be doing the work that, that you're doing at your job and doing it phenomenally, et cetera, et cetera. But getting it's relationship building. The powers that be have to know you exist. And I remember at South by Southwest, I said, I did what I call rounds. I would kind of calculate at certain times when Steve's door would open and he would walk out um, out of a meeting. And then I would walk around the office (laughs) and he would (laughs) connect. So, you know, he would see my face because he's not going to come to my cube and say, hey, what are you doing over here? What, What kind of work are you doing today? So I had to make myself known. And he was on my floor you know, I had access to him in some way, but I had to do the work so that he could know I exist and we talk. And as that relationship built, it took me almost a year before I was able to actually have some FaceTime with Steve where we got to sit down and really talk. And from there, when certain things arose, he remembered what I said to him and and my investment in the company, and he gave me those opportunities. And then over time, they just continued to build. And so I think that half of that is we have to do the work, too. Some of that onus is on us. The sponsor isn't necessarily going to pluck you out of the group and say, oh, that looks like a great person I can sponsor. I'm sure it happens, but you also have to be strategic and get to know people and then get to know you. Kelly Lingard dropped by Le Vital Core Salon for episode 30. Kelly is the founder and CEO of Unshattered, which is a social enterprise partner for a woman's addiction recovery program. Kelly shares how the best mentorships occur when both parties bring something to the table. Yeah, the best ones I've ever had are where both parties actually had something to give. And so for me, it was maybe when I was in a job meeting a need and I could bring skills to the table that a boss or someone I was working with really needed, but they could coach and mentor and teach me along the way. And so it's always seemed to work best in that natural pairing of trying to work in the space of things that I'm maybe good at. Um, but I could be better at. And so they're seeing my work day to day. Um, They're seeing how I react and engage with things. And they're close enough to my work and my behavior and my words to people that they can help shape that. In most cases, I, I think it just sort of naturally evolved from people that I was working closely to. And often it was me pursuing somebody whose work style or talent I really liked. But instead of just asking for the mentorship with them, I would ask to be doing a job that was intersecting with theirs. Kelly, what most helped you reach out to these people? Was there a particular approach, particular language that you used? I would say admiration. There was something about them that I wanted in my life or I wanted to be more like. And I think it always made those relationships a little bit easier because I was specific. I like the way that you engage with our clients. I like the way that you lead a team. I like the way that you think about problem solving in this piece of the business. Can you teach me to think, act, or speak in that way? And I think that's easier for people to say yes to because the expectations are pretty clear. One thing that I found is helpful is also giving people an out. Have you ever used that or has that ever worked for you? 
I would never, I don't think, have reached out to somebody that I didn't already have a relationship with and said, will you be my mentor? I would start with, I have a specific question about such and such a thing. Can we talk about that? And then in that conversation, if I feel like we're gelling together and we're hitting it off and they maybe have some interest in a relationship with me, then starting to go to the next level of, hey, this was really helpful. Do you think that we could maybe make this more of a regular thing together? Um, but I never started with that. Uh, the other thing that I always found very, very useful, it took me a while to learn this, um, and this works on both sides of the equation, whether I was asking somebody to mentor me or somebody was asking me to mentor them, only ever committing to that in specified chunks of time. There's not much more awkward than being paired with a mentor and feeling like you've gotten as much as you could from them and having to say, gee, thanks for all of your investment in me. I think I'm done meeting with you now. <laughs> oh, ouch. So I had a couple of kind of assigned mentor relationships that went on far too long because I didn't know how to exit. And so I really learned to say, would you just, you know, can we do this once a month for six months? And then both of us can reevaluate, am I continuing to learn what I wanted to learn from you? And do you feel like you have more to offer me? And if not, we're going to part ways at six months. But it's, it's like if you don't have that natural point in time to checkpoint and say, hey, should this relationship keep going in this manner? It's really awkward for both parties, either one, to sort of break up with the other in a sense. But if you can say, hey, we hit our six-month commitment. This has been really great. Thank you for everything you've poured into me. You know, I'd love to reach out every once in a while when I need something. Is that okay? That's so much of a better off-ramp. <laughs> Cara Rota stopped by La Vital Core Salon for episode 23. Since we last heard from Kara, she's now become a senior editor at the book publisher St. Martin's Press. Kara shares how to make a good impression on a potential mentor and the importance of staying engaged with your mentors. For me, I think that the mentors that I've really valued throughout my career are the people that have continued to stay in touch even when I don't work for them anymore, even when we're not working together directly anymore, that they just kind of stay a part of my support network and remain someone that I can reach out to, go get coffee, ask questions, um, get their perspective on things throughout the lifetime of my career rather than just in the context of one particular place. Um, I think for a mentor relationship to really work, it has to be personal and it has to be kind of lasting outside of the context of a particular job. You know, I had one mentor say to me something once about how there's a difference between your job and your career. And that was really helpful to think about, not just who would be my mentors at a particular job, but who are the people that I could continue to count on and support and go back to over the years as I changed, as my career changed, and that I could just sort of see them as an anchor. What do you think has helped you maintain those relationships? I think it's really just being willing to continue to reach out and check in and making it not just a one-sided relationship, but thinking about what you have to offer and bring to the table also. Um, one of the things that I've found is that 
because I have some experience in the tech world, um, people who maybe have been in the publishing industry longer but aren't as well-versed in things like social media or podcasts or various digital platforms have questions for me too. So it's not just a one-way relationship where I'm asking someone for reference letters or advice or favors, but it's really a two-way street where we're bouncing ideas off each other, sharing different perspectives, and it becomes this real kind of hopefully intergenerational collaboration over time that's bigger than just, you know, the power dynamic of mentor-mentee. Do you have any tips or recommendations? Like, is that an organic process for you? Or do you have a way to think about how you're going to be reaching out to people and when you're going to be reaching out to people? I feel very lucky in that the mentors I've collected throughout my career have often been people that I've worked for in some capacity and then stayed in touch with. Um, Now that I'm in a position where people perhaps look to me more for mentorship, whether that's in the form of informational interviews or advice or just a foothold in the industry, I'm a person who tries to be really open. So, you know, if I get a note from someone who went to my alma mater saying, I really want to get into publishing, can we just have a quick phone call? I'll always say yes. And I know that a lot of my colleagues um, in the industry and without are also really eager to help. And so I think, you know, I always tell young people, who are trying to get into particular industries or who have a particular dream job, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. Nobody hates to get an email saying, you know, I really admire your work. Um, it's, it's a huge compliment. And so I think just feeling confident to make those asks, even if all you're asking for is a little bit of someone's time. I mean, I think there are certain ways to phrase it that help and that, that make it easier to say yes to. And, and one of those things is just showing that you've, done your research. Someone once told me that, you know, if you have a half hour of someone's time, don't ask them things you can just Google. Do the research so that when you get that time to sit down with them, you can go a little bit further and dig a little bit deeper and maybe have the conversations that you could only have in person and not just, you know, reading what they've written online or, you know, reading their LinkedIn. Rachel Citrin was my guest and thankfully not murdered during the making of La Vital Porcelain episode number 24. You can check out that episode to know why this is noteworthy. By day, Rachel is head of account management at Powerhouse Animation. Outside of that, she's also a music manager at Jet or Not Management in Austin, Texas. Rachel shares her experience of what it's like to be mentored. I don't necessarily have a a traditional example of a mentor-mentee relationship in my current professional life, but I've had a number of, like, more casual interactions over time that I think sort of fit into this category in a variety of ways, and what has always stood out to me to be the most successful or, like, the most powerful form of that is people that I've known or that I've worked with who have just sort of encouraged me and gently pushed me in one direction or the other, as opposed to, you know, giving me some sort of list of what I should be doing or or getting me to kind of change, try to change my instincts or my behavior. It's been more like gentle reinforcement 
and subtle encouragement and things like that, that over time, looking back on them and kind of reflecting specifically in trying to answer this question, I've realized have really been like slow burn long-term mentor relationships. And that's, I mean, I think it's specific to every person and everyone works better in, in different environments and needs a different type of support and a different type of uh, pep talk or, or whatever it might be. But what's always worked well for me is someone just sort of acknowledging something that's happening and saying like, hey, this is really great. You know, don't overthink it or like trust your instincts because I think what's held me back in the past is this sense of think I know what I'm doing. Like, is it, does anyone ever really know? And so just having, <laughs> you know, just having that sort of a uh, feeling of being a fraud that everyone has and having someone, an external person just sort of gently saying like, you're on the right track, keep doing what you're doing. And maybe here's a suggestion to do it more efficiently or more powerfully or X, Y, and Z, but just having someone there as, as kind of a coach behind the scenes to say like, Hey, I see you and I see what you're going for. And I think you're, you're on the track to making that happen. Got it. So what I'm hearing is it's been more situational for you and it's just kind of organically happening on the fly. You're not really calling it a mentor-mentee relationship. It's just kind of there as casual advice. Yeah, and I think I've been in both of those roles. And I think I'm probably learning how to be a good mentor situationally from the people who have done it for me. And even though it's never really been like a a very formal or traditional arrangement, I think I've had opportunities to do that for other women in my life to kind of do the same thing. Like, Hey, I see that you're kind of moving in this direction or I see that maybe something's holding you back. And I want to be there to say, don't feel intimidated by that. You're actually doing a great job. And I think what you need is just to like lean in more to what you're already doing. And just like that, having someone to, sort of validate that is what's really worked for me. I mean, obviously there are instances where I'm probably doing something totally wrong, in which case validation for that wrong thing (laughs) is not going to be helpful. But in thinking about this question, I think for a lot of professional women, especially in industries um, like the industries I work in, which are entertainment, whether it be animation or music, um, that have you know, historically been so dominated by men, I think a lot of what holds us back is just sort of this anxiety and insecurity um, of, do I belong in this space? Am I allowed to be in this space? And do I have to kind of tiptoe through it so that I'm not disrupting anything so that I kind of get discounted? And I think I've always had women around me or in some instances been the woman to say like, you know what, it's okay to disrupt this a little bit. Maybe what we need is some disruption here and don't be afraid to be that person. And just sort of that gentle nudge of keep doing what you're doing, but maybe even do it with a little bit more assertiveness. Dara Cass dropped by La Vital Corsalon for episode 34. 
She's the founder of Feminem and a doctor at NYU Langone Medical Center in New York City. Dara shares her experience being a mentor. For me, I think the best examples of mentorship I have are the ones that I give, not really ones I have received. Some of it has to do with my place in my career, I think, and also what I do. So by creating something new for women in medicine, there were not a lot of people who had done it before me. So the mentors I had were kind of piecemeal mentors, uh, somebody that mentored me on innovation or on communication or education, but nobody that was able to mentor me through my project in a really kind of tight and really developmental way. But when I started Feminem, I had a a co-editor, right? I I wanted to do it with someone. I don't like to do things by myself. I'm not very good at that. And um, I asked a resident to do it with me, knowing that I wanted this to have like a generational feel, like a cross-generational feel. And I also wanted to be able to give off a lot of the benefit of building something to somebody that would have had to do it for themselves with the experience of teaching them a lot of the stuff that I had learned by myself through these random individual mentors. So the co-editor I have at Feminem started as a second year resident, which is now like four years later, she's an attending, which means she's graduated from residency. She herself is a mentor to other residents and to other faculty members even. And through the process of building this community and website and podcast and all these things that we do, I've watched her grow in her ability to nurture and mentor others. And that has been, it's like, it's any, like any other developmental relationship. Like when your child becomes a big sibling or some other kind of growth experience, it's been really, really wonderful to mentor her through this process of learning how to have her voice matter and learning how to combine talents on publishing versus stuff in like social media or in popular culture and letting her learn how to do the things that I learned the hard way and making it a little easier for her in the process. Amazing. It's got to be really awesome for you to see I mean, over four years, I mean, that's a good amount of time in a professional career, right? Yeah, especially, and, and the thing about mentorship is it's hard because everybody is like, like I remember, so um, like a, a month ago, three months ago, something recently, I, I got uh, proposed to by a resident. She came up to my, like, I was in a hotel and we like was in a room like with other people, whatever. She comes up to me in the room like and asks if she could speak to me privately, you know? And she looks at me, she goes, I have a question for you. And I already had a relationship with her, right? She goes, would you be my mentor? And I laugh because I'm like, Amy, what do you think I've been doing for the past like year and a half? (laughs) And she's like, I just want to know that it's formal. Like she had been taught along the way that she was supposed to have a formal mentor. And what she meant really was, I want to make sure that I can make sure that you're helping me check the boxes. Do you see what I'm saying? Like she wanted to say, I'm looking for a job now. Hey, mentor. Can you help me figure out what I'm supposed to do? I am having this issue at work. Hey, mentor, can I run it past you? Like, as opposed to the organic relationship we had had, which is very kind of simple and doing projects, she wanted to make sure that there was somebody in her corner formally. And so it was, a, it was very adorable, I should say. And I hope that she saw me as a mentor to others and decided that she wanted me to do this. As you were telling it, I was just picturing, like, was she handing you a rose, right? It was, it like- was, it was totally <laughs> exactly that adorable. <laughs> Peer mentorship was probably the most important formative experience I had growing up as a as a young 
entrepreneur, as a young female attending, as a young person who was figuring out this kind of new space. Um, and so I have my most important peer mentor who had a very different talent set than I did. So she was somebody who was a really big researcher and I was kind of a much better connector. And uh, together we've become this tornado of, <laughs> you know, gender equity research and connections. Uh, and together we are a force together to be reckoned with. And a lot of it is me helping her connect and become more extroverted and her reminding me how to turn something into scholarly activity. And so that's probably for myself. She's right now, and I'd argue probably always has been my best mentor, even though she's not my supervisor or even, I mean, she's older than me because I'm so young. It's not what you would expect normally from mentorship. So one question I want to ask about that, was it something that just sort of organically developed or at some point had you both really consciously recognized, like you have a very complimentary skill set to me? It was very much both. I think it actually, it, it grew out of frustration at both of us for not seeing the other one live to their full potential. So I guess it's, that's, it's the second part of your question, right? Which is that I saw her as being incredibly powerful and incredibly smart. And I still hold that she's probably one of the few people that I am in awe of all the time in her ability to write and to um, convey ideas that are just brilliant. But she's quiet and she's an introvert, right? So my ability to amplify her work and my ability to encourage her to do things that are louder and be like, like I'm talking about literally like her being on CNN, you know what I mean? Like that far of like giving her the courage or the support or the process by which to say, you know, and CNN is a, is a, it's a big nut. It feels intimidating, I think. Um, And for me, it's the opposite, right? It's that I, I get intimidated by, by writing in academic journals and I, feel like I'm really good at conveying my message interpersonally, but you kind of send it through the journal pipeline and I'm like, is it really worth the effort? And she reminds me all the time that it is worth the effort because that's part of the capital we have as doctors is to be published in a certain venue. And because of her, we were in the New England Journal of Medicine just two weeks ago talking about, you know, gender equity and harassment in medicine and what that means for the whole kind of movement going forward. Patty Wilson stopped by Le Vital Porcelain for episode 31. Patty is the operations manager at Northern California Terminal Radar Approach Control, also known as TRACON, and the president of Professional Women Controllers, Inc. Patty shares how it's important to know your mentor well and be able to say no if it's not a good fit. So one example for mentorship done well, I would say, is... um a friend of mine who became a mentor over 13 years ago. And it was a mentorship that developed over time. We actually became friends first. And she mentored me by me sending her things. We developed that relationship of trust. And that's why I think it's interesting when I've been asked to mentor somebody that I don't know. That level of trust that you've got to have with the mentor to have an open conversation is extremely important and to think that you're going to have that relationship with somebody you just know who they are and you reach out to them and say, hey, Kara, I'd like you to be my mentor, but you don't know each other. I think that mentorship is going to be difficult. Now, I've run a mentor program before where we assigned the mentors and the mentees to each other, but that was a very structured program to where we gave them guidance and counseling 
on how that relationship should develop that's different. For, and, and this was a work environment mentor program. Okay. And it was very different than the relationship you have with your supervisor. So what we try to do is coach both the mentor and the mentee on what that relationship should look like and the conversations that needed to be had. So we had a lot of success with that. But I think my, for me, my mentor, and she is still my mentor, is an invaluable relationship that you cherish because you're also getting honest feedback from somebody. You're getting some guidance and some feedback that you may not be getting in your other relationship with a supervisor or a manager. So uh, that was very powerful for me, and it still is. As far as me giving mentorship, it is really interesting. I actually was speaking at an event, and um, they asked me to be a mentor, and I said no. And then they actually did ask me why. And I said, well, because the pre- as the president of PwC, I'm already mentoring 16 <laughs> officers on my board. <laughs> not yes, you mention- are. Yeah, not to mention program managers and things like that. So I think that's also another thing to remember. It's being able to say no when you know you don't have time to give anymore. So I think I've been pretty successful with my board of directors. Now, if you want to get specific, you'd probably have to go ask them. But uh, I, think, I, believe- <laughs> I think most of them would agree based on interactions I got to see at the conference. It was, it, it's, been, and it, it's been very, very rewarding for me to be a mentor and see them develop and step outside their comfort zone. So I think I've been able to see the positives on both sides, but I think I've also been able to recognize how maybe some people don't understand how that relationship needs to develop. I think if you have a relationship with a mentor that you actually just, just started cold and it's successful, I mean, that's wonderful. I'm not saying it can't be done, but I think it makes it more difficult. Some of you may remember Erin Barra, who was my guest in episode 20. She's an associate professor in the songwriting department at Boston's Berklee College of Music, one of the leading product specialists for Berlin-based music software company Ableton, and one of the creators of Beats by Girls. Erin shares her experience with mentorship. I find that a lot of times women in any industry, um, but specifically the music industry where it's already so volatile and, and sort of like desperate for a lot of people, that um, the idea that there's only so much space for us, right? We're coming from this scarcity mentality where, you know, once you get to the place that you were, now you need to protect that by bringing up another woman or another person who is largely underrepresented that you're, you know, the perception is that you're, you're taking away from your own space. And, you know, how do we as women inside of an industry successfully mentor each other and sponsor each other without uh, getting in our own ways or by some reverse psychology, like <laughs> putting, putting each other down, you know? So what you're saying from the music industry, you're seeing almost a sense of rivalry sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that's gender specific, but I think that it's... No. <laughs> Not from what I've seen from the outside. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's cutthroat. I think just in general, this industry is extremely cutthroat. Um, but, you know, it it's... And I, and I feel these feelings sometimes when I'm at this place now where... I'm in a position to mentor or sponsor anybody I'd like to. And I get asked to do that all the time. And so I have a strong reaction to it sometimes because part of me that I can't let go of that I'm desperately trying to as a 
you know, professional, successful professional woman is to say that, you know, when I let this person in, or if I boost this person up, I'm not in, in the same breath, you know, lowering my own status. And I think that it's like the next part of what my def my next definition of success is to let those feelings go and to understand that, you know, being in a place where you can mentor and sponsor another person actually makes you very powerful. It doesn't detract from your power in any way. Erin, I want to ask a follow-up question because you said something really interesting around you're being asked to be a mentor. And I know you're talking about how it needs to be an organic process. For women listening who might be in that same situation, what's been successful for you for navigating that? The inquiry or? Yeah, reacting to the inquiry. Because I think I know this has been something I've had to spend a lot of time thinking about. Like when I'm receiving, you know, 30, sometimes 40 emails, maybe in a month or a six week period from brand new health coaches that are still in their training programs asking, how did you build your whole business? I know that would be overwhelming and I would get nothing done other than mentoring people if I said yes to everything. Yeah, it's absolutely true. How do you balance that? I struggle a lot with it because so much of my professional life is centered around gender equity in my industry and and trying to position women so they're visible. You know, so I already spend, I'd say, you know, 30% of my energy towards this endeavor, you know, just right away. So I already do give so much. And in the rest of my professional life, just the fact that I'm a woman in a field where there are very, very few women it just makes me a mentor to so many people because I'm one of the only visible women that they can look up to. So, you know, I do so much conscious mentoring and then so much unconscious mentoring where I feel like I'm just constantly in this <laughs> this cyclic state of like waking up, being myself and, and through that, um, doing important work and then also, you know, consciously doing this work as well. So I'm at such, I'm I'm beyond my threshold at this point. And so, you know, partly I've just realized that this is, this is part of my job um, is to mentor people, but you know, you have to draw a line somewhere and I only have so much energy and I only have so much of myself that I can give to another person. So sometimes, you know, as shitty as this may sound, I have to understand that not replying to every email is okay. And that I, like you said, spending the time to tell somebody that, you know, this is why this is like this and why I can't do this for you takes more energy than I have to give. And so a lot of times I just, a lot of emails go unanswered. And sometimes I have to be frank, you know, because people need to hear the truth. So, you know, if somebody comes to my office or, you know, manages to spend some one-on-one time with me and then they somehow manage to tell me that they're trying to do the exact same things that I've been doing but for themselves or that they want to like duplicate work that I'm already doing but in another like with other resources and they want me to connect them with sponsors or find out how they've done a thing yeah I think it's important to say you know hey I see what you're doing and I think that, you know, this work is obviously important. I'm already doing this work, uh, but 
you know, by what you're asking me to do is, is to say, you want me to give you what I have. And I don't think that that's a really inappropriate ask for you to be making right now. You know, sometimes you have to tell people <laughs> that. Here's a bit more from Patty Wilson about how sponsors can create a seat at the table for you. So it's interesting. I would say that early in my career, I did not have a sponsor. Um, what I did was I just put myself out there a lot, uh, took a lot of risks, and really never, never let an opportunity pass by. As I moved up in my career and got into more leadership positions, specifically with PwC, I was putting myself out there on a national level. And, uh, you know, you build that credibility, you build the fact that people can trust you, that you will have follow-through, and that you are taking action. And I think you kind of gain sponsors indirectly without even asking for them. Uh, currently, I would say that I've got a couple of sponsors at some pretty high levels, um, not only in the FAA, but outside of the FAA, that have offered me sponsorship opportunities and it's funny because I'm telling them no right now that I don't want their sponsorship, which <laughs> sounds odd. But it's again, it's what realizing that I need to finish what I'm doing right now as the president of PwC. So I don't necessarily want to change jobs right now because PwC presidency is my second job. So it's interesting when you have those conversations with people who are willing to be your sponsors, but you're like, I don't need you to do that right now. <laughs> Not yet. You know, but they're pushing you in that direction. And I appreciate that because that kind of push is, is kind of what you need sometimes to recognize that it's time to move on to something else. Got it. So what you're seeing is them sort of pulling out a seat at the table for you, is, if I'm hearing you correctly. Yes, absolutely. And I love that. I, and I really appreciate that because before I did before, and I, I'm sure I've had informal sponsors that I wasn't really necessarily talking to all the time in the past and maybe just didn't know it, you know, because I didn't understand what the concept was there for a while. Yes. But, yeah. That was my experience too. I had no idea. I was like, wait a minute, that person actively trying to help me blaze a trail, that's, it's more than mentorship. And it wasn't until Mindo was talking about it that I was like, wait a minute, I've had sponsors. I had no idea that's who they were. Right. Absolutely. And I think uh, now that I really know what they are and I've had a lot more experience with them, they're invaluable to have. You you really do need a sponsor. I mean, a men not that I'm saying you don't need a mentor, but you, you really do need to find that sponsor out there and who that person is you're going to connect with. On the other hand, as far as me being a sponsor for somebody, it's interesting. I think sponsorship is a lot like giving a reference, a job reference. Except instead of giving it on paper and just doing it that one time, you're actually giving them a referral every time you have the opportunity to be in a room with others of influence. And that's putting their name out there and supporting them in a way that you as a mentor probably wouldn't do. But if you ha you're in a position of influence and you're able to mention that person's name over and over again at meetings, all of a sudden you're building a reputation for that individual. And I have seen this at work not necessarily work, work, but I've seen it work <laughs> <laughs> because it is, it's very, very powerful when you're saying somebody's name and you're, you're, you're also well-respected. So it's leveraging your power. It's really recognizing yes. like I have some gravity in this room and I can pull these other people, mentees perhaps at the time, initially, 
that are orbiting around me to move them forward as well. Yeah, I think sponsorship is probably something that needs to be kind of discussed more about what that role is, because if you are going to be sponsoring somebody, for example, I would never sponsor somebody, again, like the mentor things, like I would never sponsor somebody that I did not absolutely know. Uh, I need to know your work ethic. I need to know your follow through. I know that you need to know that you take action, because when I attach my name to somebody like that, they're kind of riding on your coattails. Yes. So if you're going to do that, you want to don't don't sponsor somebody who's not credible, because now all of a sudden that makes you people will question your credibility. At least that's what I believe. So, in fact, I even said that the other day to somebody because they said, I can't believe you didn't give me more uh, recommendations or more people who might be interested in this position. And I said, I'm not going to recommend people to you who simply want the job. I'm going to recommend people to you that I have worked with and I trust them. And I know they have a good work ethic. I said, otherwise, I'm just referring them because they're nice people. There's a lot of nice people out there who can't do the job. So they're not going to have my name attached to them as far as either sponsorship or as a reference. Here's a bit more from Kara Rhoda talking about how sponsorship can create a great opportunity for allowing someone else's work to shine. So for me, sponsorship has been in the form of think a manager really giving me credit for my work in a way that might have been very easy for a boss to just take the credit for it. Sponsorship can look like your manager making an introduction for you that, you know, is not necessarily relevant to what you're doing to support them in your current job, but they think could be really useful down the line. So I think um, sponsorship can be really about that willingness to go a step further and even sometimes I think step aside, I think that a lot of managers who do mentor, mentor in a way that can be a little bit performative. It can be about kind of, you know, collecting a stable of, of youth that really respect you and admire you and then kind of, you know, making it more about your ability to um, generate that kind of admiration. Whereas I think, you know, sponsorship can sometimes just be about stepping aside and, and letting someone else who you know is ready for that chance take it. And that can be hard to do, but I think that's what's really important to do is knowing when to not make it about yourself, knowing when it's really time to let someone have the moment to shine. While Rachel Citrin hasn't had a traditional workplace sponsor, she's seen elements of it working with women in similar fields. Here's her sharing her experience. What I realized was that I don't think I've ever had that person specifically. My boss at the animation studio where I've worked for going on nine years, I think has sort of played that role for me over time um, within the company, just sort of allowing me to carve out a space for myself in a way that maybe other employees hadn't done in the past. So that's I think sort of tangentially related, but what I would say um, more in my experience, I've started to become part of sort of collectives of peers. So it's not hierarchical in, in sort of the sponsorship way, I think, but um, both in the music industry um, and then starting to happen also in animation, um, I've gotten together with some other female friends and colleagues that work in a similar or related field. And we've started gathering and saying, 
how can we support each other? Um, so I think that's my, my closest real world experience of sort of having a sponsor is that we're all getting together and saying, how can we as a group sponsor each other? And are there opportunities that we can share or are there ways that we can lift each other up or ways that we can collaborate together that's going to benefit everyone in this community? Um, and it's been happening a lot for me in the local music community because there are so few women. Um, I'm a band manager, so I've met other like female band and artist managers, but also club owners or bookers or designers, photographers, show promoters, like all of these radio producers, you know, all of these women that I know that work in this music community have started to get together initially just sort of in a casual way, but it's become more structured over the last few months just to say, how can we succeed as a team? How does creating this collective help all of you generate more seats at the table for women? I think part of where the conversation started was in response to like this Me Too movement that obviously has been happening in, in every industry. And not to say that our instinct was men are harmful. And so let's, you know, band together to combat that. But I think it, it just made us reconsider the way that these power structures were operating and knowing that there are so many smart and talented women that are sort of scattered across this large industry and that if we pooled our resources and also intentionally chose to work together in a supportive way as opposed to sort of this sense of competition that I think women have in some senses been taught to be competitive towards each other. If we instead work together and share these resources that what we're really doing is becoming the gatekeepers in this community because there are so many of us in so many different areas that it's really becoming this force. And it's kind of turned out that the people that I'm working with now in the music community more often than not are the other women in town. Um, not to say that I, I'm not also working with men. Almost all of the artists that I'm representing right now are men. But when I want to organize an event, I'm reaching out to the women I know to help me organize that. And I, I think we've also been proving to ourselves and to the community as a whole how powerful that model can be and how capable we are. And I think if there's anyone kind of in that community that had been overlooked previously, I think we're helping to make them stronger and just sort of share. We all have different tools and sharing those tools to help everyone succeed. Oh, Rachel, this makes my heart so happy. And I'm oh, good. psyched it's to kind hear. kind of what you're doing. I'm trying. I feel like I'm more of a, a, a mouthpiece or my job, at least in terms of the podcast, is to try to amplify what cool things women are doing. So I'm glad you really shared this. And I am sending a whole bunch of love and vibes to Austin, Texas, that this keeps expanding. Here's more from Kelly Lingard about the importance of sponsorships feeling organic and natural. You need your sponsor to 
really be invested in your success emotionally. And I don't think you can ask somebody, you can't ask somebody to feel that way about you. Uh, you can create that. You can create opportunities for them to feel passionate about the work that you're doing. But for them to really take on the mantle of your success, I don't know that it's effective to request that. Have you ever witnessed or experienced mentorship or sponsorship gone wrong? What can the women listening learn from this? Sponsorship gone wrong? I have seen in the sense that you can, I'll say, hit your wagon to the wrong star. I have watched people whose sponsors have gone down in flames and their entire, almost an entire organization that they were dragging along behind them went down with them. Um, so whether it was, uh, you know, the sponsor's career itself crashed and burned, maybe they weren't that successful as they themselves got promoted, or maybe I have seen sort of an ethical collapse where um, issues have happened and someone's gotten dismissed from a business and people in that chain of command were counting on that person to drag them forward and they just never made it past where they were in the business. There's a little bit of, again, coming from a male-dominated industry, I still think that there's a little bit of the old boys club of having picked teams and you can be viewed as, as somebody else's team member and if they're no longer around, other sponsors may not be willing to pick you up because you were groomed by so-and-so who no longer has a good reputation. Ah, uh, yes. I was part of a regime change in one of my past careers. Yes. Or in one of my past jobs in finance, where I was hired and groomed under someone who is very upwardly mobile, who then got moved to the other coast. <laughs> right. And it was really difficult. And I, I think that actually helped further my resolve that that was not the work I was meant to be doing anyways. I mm -hmm. think when I had someone that I was learning under and being mentored by and who was a sponsor for me, and then that disintegrated, it forced me to do a real inventory of, wait, did I like this work or tolerate this work that I'm doing because I had that really good boss? Now that he's gone, do I really like this? Right. Right. Do you take any actions to seek those relationships out or did they come together differently? That is a very interesting question. I have intentionally pursued mentors uh, by asking them to be a mentor. I have intentionally pursued sponsors by trying to impress them, <laughs> but never by asking somebody to be a sponsor. And so I guess the difference is valuing somebody that can teach me versus valuing somebody who I can benefit from being in their wake, I guess, that um, I knew sometimes that if I could build a relationship with the right people and impress them in the right way, they would help build a path forward for me. But I, I never specifically said, would you be a sponsor for me? Here's a bit more from Dara Cass talking about how sponsorship works in the world of medicine. So I'm actually probably like the world's greatest sponsor. Um, it's because sponsorship is about um, kind of creating opportunities for other people. It has very little to do with your investment in their personal success, right? So a, a sponsor opens the door for you and a mentor kind of pushes you through it. 
a sponsor is not going to encourage you necessarily to take a job, but they're going to make that job opportunity available for you. If you want it, they're going to use their political capital to get you that job, right? Um, and so it's important to remember that a sponsor is all about creating the best outcomes and because of the relationship you have with them or because of their perception of who you are, right? You don't have to have a good personal relationship. A sponsor will use that capital or that opportunity or that access to connect you to the experience or the outcome that you're looking for. You know what I mean? Or that you need or that they think you need, right? Um, but remember that if you don't take it from a sponsor, if you don't walk through the door or if you don't um, acknowledge the opportunity or if you're not good at it, right? Yep, that's, that's important it. too. So, Right. Like a sponsor is somebody, you know, who creates opportunities for other people. Right. And so it's like, uh, you know, if I'm asked if somebody, if they if I know a female speaker in our field and I'm looking at, uh, you know, a landscape of potential speakers, I may go through the list pretty quickly. But each of those times I recommend somebody, that's an opportunity they may not have had otherwise. Right. And so that's the sponsorship that I'm talking about. But I'm not going to force anyone to take the opportunity. Like then they have to go and do a great job. Right. And then they've created the opportunity for themselves going forward. Once the sponsor has finished connecting you with that opportunity, it's up to you to carry it forward. In a lot of ways, the best reward for a sponsor is that have to stop connecting you with the same level of opportunity, but either to get you to higher level opportunities or to get up to get other people to those opportunities. Here's a bit more from Aaron Barra talking about how to handle mentorship asks that might seem unreasonable. Um, when I was right at the brink of my career, I had, um, this gentleman, his name is Houston, basically, you know, stand up for me and say, this person, we need to make her visible. And he was working at Ableton at the time. And, uh, you know, that's when I started doing a lot of freelance work for them. And I was put in a lot of spaces where people could see me and it was hugely instrumental in me taking the next step of my career in a big, big way. And at the time, I didn't even realize it was happening, to be honest. It, it took me a little while to really get it <laughs> until it was already happening. Like, wow, this person really did something um, fantastic for me. And then vice versa. I mean, there's one individual woman that I, I put a lot of resources and energy into. And she was a student at Berkeley. And we became friends. And now she's in Los Angeles and, you know, in a lot of ways I made it possible for her to transition directly from being a student into working in the music industry with like seamlessly, um, which is something that never was <laughs> available to me when I was a student. Uh, so I've been on both sides of it. Hey, it's Kara again. How did you like this first roundtable episode? If you dug this episode, I'd love to hear what stuck out for you. Email me at info at Salon, or you can find me on Twitter or Facebook or even Instagram at at VitalCore, V-I-T-A-L-C-O-R-P-S. I'd love to hear what resonated for you. Do you want more of this chat? Then I want you to check out part two of the Mentor Sponsor Mashup where we cover a lot of the practical implementation pieces of gaining a mentor or mentoring someone else, and the same with sponsorship. You can find this episode on your favorite podcast platform or also on my website at levitalcoresalon.com. 
My heart is busting open with gratitude for all the people that made this podcast come to life. Thank you to Minda Hearts for inspiring this idea and inviting me to her roundtable in Texas and supporting me as I grab this thread and run with it. Thank you to my roundtable contributors, Aaron, Rachel, Patty, Dara, Kara, Kelly. You all inspire me in your own unique ways. And I am so lucky. You all rock. We are also lucky to be the recipients of your experience and your knowledge and your wisdom. Thank you to my most excellent husband slash producer for his interpretive dance moves that made me want to do this episode. I'm just kidding. It's really his editing and production that added nice polish to this podcast, don't you think? Thank you to Darlene Victoria for doing double time around the holidays and truly being a source of support as I was coming off a concussion and really having to focus on this episode. I couldn't do it without you. Thank you to Rishi Deer from Elephant Stone, Mean, and his new project, Acid House Ragas. He's got a brand new single out, so go stream his music. It's some really badass rock and roll. Thank you to the High Dials for performing this theme song. They have a new EP out, too, so go check them out. And most importantly, thank you to all of you listening and sharing and supporting me around this podcast. I couldn't make this without you because it would be really sad if I looked at the downloads and realized that nobody was listening. So I make this for you and thank you for listening and contributing and sending ideas and introducing me to potential guests and all the things that happen behind the scenes to make this podcast. I feel like for so many years, my curiosity and my continual questioning and wanting to understand things always felt like a challenge in the more corporate, professional workplace. And now I get to make something where I get to ask really interesting, fabulous, cool, creative, disruptive, barrier-breaking women questions and they receive them and we get to learn from it. So I can't think of anything more fun to do with my time than make this podcast. And again, it, it couldn't happen without your ears taking this in and you sharing it and you helping it grow. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I'll stop talking so you can move on to episode two. But don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let bullshit or burnout stop you.